Well, as you're making your way back to your seats, let's go ahead and turn in a Bible together to Luke chapter 8. It's also printed for you there in the bulletin on page 9. We are revisiting the same passage that we looked at last week, again, in Luke 8, because it is a lengthy passage and because we really only were able to deal with a portion of it last week. And so we return again to Luke 8, uh, beginning at verse 40, but we'll read a little bit further this time into verse 53 to again see how this miraculous story ends. So again, Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 40. Hear God's word. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you, and you are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden any longer, she came Trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any longer. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James, and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever and ever. Amen. As I mentioned, this is our second week looking together at this double miracle of Jesus. A miracle which we see yet again revolves around two people. There is Jairus, the synagogue ruler, with a 12-year-old daughter who is dying. And then there is the unnamed woman. Again, indicative of her social status, no name, unknown. This unnamed woman, what a contrast to Jairus, 
the ruler, the man of prestige in his day who is prominently named here. The unnamed woman with a 12-year, notice that parallel again, a 12-year-old daughter who is dying and a 12-year incurable affliction, medical episode. These two characters are separate, as we saw last week and see yet again, in their respective afflictions. They are separate in their positions in life and society, separate even in their approach to Jesus. Jairus comes publicly because he is a prominent man. He earns, if you will, in their day and age, so he thinks, so they think, an audience with the rabbi. And the woman comes, of course, under cover of anonymity and in the crowds, separate in their approach to Jesus, but linked in their trial linked in their pain. And we see this in everyday life, even today, if you think about it. Isn't it true that we most commonly forge friendships around and with those who have shared affections, shared likes, common interests? Most of my friends love sports like I do. Most of my friends enjoy the same restaurants that I enjoy most of my friends, not all, but most of my friends have you know, children, perhaps, of, of similar age and place in life. Again, we often are forged in relationship with those to whom we have the most common affinities or, or affections. But it's often true, I think, that that might be our most common way of forging a bond, but often our deepest connections, our deepest relationships aren't just born from shared likes or shared preferences, but shared struggles, shared afflictions, shared trials, those who have endured similar things that we have so that they can then understand the pain that we have felt. They can understand the hardships that we have endured. There is this empathetic connection that is unique. Well, that's that's similar here in this story, in a sense. These two, again, come to Jesus in desperation and in pain, though it's from different sources, and they find deliverance that they undoubtedly never forgot. They find deliverance that they never would forget, and hopefully that's the story of Christians from, from then on. Hopefully that's the story of the church as well, that we come, all of us, dead in our sin. We come, all of us, spiritually hemorrhaging, if you will, but we find Jesus, he finds us, so that hopefully when we are healed, spiritually speaking, when we are restored, spiritually speaking, we now are able to be empathetic to those who also come in with their own afflictions or their own struggles, their own spiritual hemorrhaging, their own position of death. We too then become empathetic to them because we know what it's like. We know that, that shared struggle that shared experience of sin and salvation, that shared experience of death and deliverance, so that hopefully then it forms this this unbreakable bond in the church. We don't know if these two were friends later on. Do you remember that one day we were in Galilee and we met Jesus? Can you believe what he did? We don't know. Probably not, right? But they were linked forevermore. Though they came from separate places and separate struggles 
if anything else, in Holy Scripture, they are linked forevermore. And hopefully that's our story as well. Again, that we come into the church with our death, our spiritual death. We come into the church with our spiritual hemorrhaging, but because of Christ, we are now linked forevermore. There is this unshakable bond which defines us as Christians, or so we hope. Well, again, last week we were looking at this story, and we only focused on the woman, if you recall. It was her trial that we looked at. Again, one of exhaustion and one of desperation, one which would have made her, uh, you know, ostracized in her day, unclean. But then there was the touch of Jesus, that feeblest, last-ditch effort on her part, embarrassed, ashamed, but desperate. She touches Jesus, and she's healed miraculously. And then after that touch, there was her testimony, if you remember. For Jesus asks her, and she has to then proclaim again the testimony of his healing, which would have been both dignifying to her, here it is, the rabbi, he actually speaks to her publicly. That would have communicated great worth and dignity, which she previously didn't have. But it also would have been mortifying for her, in a sense. Because here, publicly, she has to say why she touched Jesus. Well, it was because of this horrendous affliction. And she admits it. She gives her testimony. She shared in the presence of all who would listen her story of salvation. And we can see the applications to us then as well. That's our story. Well, again, if that was the woman, what about our friend Jairus? What about our friend Jairus, the one who really the story began with, if you noticed? After all, it was Jairus who first stopped Jesus, and he stopped him in dramatic fashion. He fell at his feet. He came humbly. He pleaded with Jesus, the text says. In other words, he did what any other father would do. Isn't that true? If we were in the same position, he, he did what any other father would do on behalf of his child and notice the response of God. Jesus here, the only begotten son. Jesus, the true king of Israel's 12 tribes, the one who would truly unite them and restore them and set up the, the true eternal kingdom well, the same Jesus stops and he has mercy for the man with an only begotten daughter who is at 12 years of age on death's door. But just as things started to move along, just as Jesus begins to take those early steps to Jairus' house and we get encouraged, and I'm sure Jairus would have been encouraged as as well, time is of the essence. Jesus is on the move. Only what happens? To be stopped. To be stopped. Verse 12 says, I'm sorry, not verse 12. Um, where are we? The crowds pressed against him. Verse 42. That wasn't a four, that was a, or that wasn't a one, that was a four. Verse 42. The crowds almost crushed him, it says. They pressed against him. And again, as we try to put ourselves in that day and age, we should think what that would have been like. I mean, the crowds pressing in on him and crushing him. This is like Disney World, you know, on 4th of July weekend. I've made that mistake. Maybe you have as well, okay? 
This is the crowds you just simply cannot move in and through. Think of, you know, the pictures you see, or maybe you've been there before, of a, of a soccer match in a Latin American stadium, right, where the crowds are just swelling and they're swelling. This is Walmart on Black Friday, okay, or Apple when it releases the next generation of iPhone and people are lined up. Again, the crowds press in against him. And what's interesting then is that while Jairus's name and reputation are likely what got him this face-to-face audience with Jesus, the crowd and the traffic has this way of sort of leveling the playing field. And so while he got Christ's early attention, Jesus here is caught in gridlock. I mean, this is, you know, I-95, you know, heading south, at 5.30, and now this unnamed woman who couldn't get audience with him suddenly finds herself in the right place at the right time. And again, we saw then that power of Jesus, that only the simplest of touch heals her. And we saw the the heart of Jesus. As, As that woman is healed, he actually then pauses to now talk to her. You know, Christ is interesting. Christ is not interested in sort of um, anonymous healings. He could have been. He's so powerful. He's the Son of God. He's God Himself walking the earth. That even just the, 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 the touch of the, the hem of His garment, power goes out from Him. But Christ is so interested not just in the, the power, but the person, that as she is healed, He stops. He stops to, to talk to her. He wants to know her personally. And again, we see there this great picture of God, his his utter power, his utter majesty, but then this intimate personal desire to know us in our salvation and to actually have a relationship with us in our redemption. And that's a beautiful picture, and we again can see those takeaways, but for Jairus, this is alarming probably. Because now Christ stops again. The crowd stops him and, and, and the woman stops him. And if you're Jairus, you feel like you're being cut in line. The other, the other week I had to do a, I had to have a physical, uh, a physical done at the doctor. And I was sitting there, you know, waiting and, and put my name on the list and, and so forth. And another guy had come in around the same time and he had put his name on the list. But then there were others who kept being taken back before both of us because I guess they were doing other things that don't take as long as a physical, I don't know, right? Um, but he was not happy about it, okay? I brought a book to read, I had some work to do, so I kind of was there for the long haul. Hey, this is great, I got my coffee. You were fine, you know, take your time. This man, not so much, okay? And he storms up to the desk, and he keeps, this guy, this guy came in after me, and this guy came in after me, you know? And he points to me at one point, I just <laughs> acted, like, acted like I didn't know him, okay? But I'm not happy about this, right? He kept, in his mind, being cut in line, even though, of course, they have their procedures and whatever. Well, that's Jairus here, in a sense. He is being cut in line by this woman. And so we can empathize, again, like we did last week, with this woman and her sense of helplessness and this desperation. But here today, we can empathize with this feeling that Jairus must have felt of waiting, of waiting In fact, if you notice, the apostles are incredulous when Jesus stops to ask who touched him. 
Peter points out, Christ, you're, you're, we're, in a, we're in a crowd of thousands of people. What do you mean who touched, who touched you? <laughs> that would be hard to determine. But Jairus here is incredulous that Christ stops at all. Let's go. Let's move, let's move this along. Time is of the essence. And I think there, again, is a lesson for us this morning that our timing isn't always God's timing. Our timing isn't always God's timing. Remember last week, we said, when we were thinking about the woman, that the power isn't in the asking, because how she asks for her healing was very unpolished, really. She doesn't ask at all. She just comes with a desperate reaching, you know? And that's the equivalent of us offering to God a desperate prayer. God, help me. I don't even know what to ask. Help me. I'm going under. It's that hand that's about to go under the water, right? That's the woman here. And we pointed out last week that that, that that instructs us that the power isn't in the asking because we don't even know what to ask for sometimes, or we ask wrongly, or we ask without eloquence. The power isn't in the asking. The power is in the one who we ask, namely Christ himself. He has the power to heal and save. Well, here with Jairus, we must be humbled again to realize that when it comes to God answering us or meeting a need, he delights in our asking, but he determines the answer. And that's the next lesson that we see here. If we saw last week, again, that the power isn't in the asking, it's in the one that we ask, well, here we begin to see that God delights in our asking, but it's ultimately he who will determine the answer, both in terms of what that will actually be and its timing. It's cheesy, but you know, there's an old country song by Garth Brooks that says one of God's greatest gifts is unanswered prayers, right? Sometimes we come before God with needs that we think we want or need, and him not answering it is actually a form of answering it because he has better plans for us or because he knows better. He knows what we need before we even ask. Or again, we, we ask and we want a certain thing or a certain time, but he knows what's best. And again, it's not wrong to want our answer now, whatever it might be. Again, think in our own life and think of Jairus here. We want healing. We want deliverance. We want the mitigation of pain and suffering. We want a relationship to be mended. We want the salvation of a loved one all of those things are good things to ask for. All of those things are necessary things to ask for. All of those things are things that, that God insists that we come to him for. But God's timing is perfect. He's never hurried, but he's also never late. He's never hurried here. Even Notice that here in this passage. He's not, he's not hurried at all, but he's also never late and so it's a reminder, again, of something so simple, but something we have to, again, hear time and time again, that God's timing isn't always our timing. And in fact, we see this made very plain as the story continues. Notice how it continues. Verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And hearing this, Christ said to Jairus, don't be afraid, 
Just believe, and she will be healed. I mean, this is all of Jairus' worst fears coming, coming true, coming together. He's got to be kicking himself. If only I had come sooner. If only I had taken a different route to get to Jesus, maybe I would have come early enough. I'm about to pay off an AC bill. Maybe you can relate to that. I know a number of us had AC struggles this summer. We've talked about that. I have an AC bill that's due, but I realize I just missed by like a week my window to pay it without interest. Now I gotta pay the interest on top of the bill, right? Ah, great. Missed it by a week. Ah, if only I would have remembered a week earlier, I could have put it on the no interest credit card or you know, figure out a way to do this, right? Now I gotta pay interest. If only, if only I would have known. Well, think about Jairus. If only I would have come 10 minutes sooner, taken a different route. If only this crowd hadn't delayed Jesus. It's all of his worst fears. It's the text message or the phone call or the diagnosis you never hope to receive. But then notice the options put before Jairus and are the same options put before us as well. In those moments of life, will we trust the words of the world or will we trust the words of Jesus? Notice the words of the world, if you will. They were what we just heard by the man who came from his house. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. What is that really saying? Jairus, give up. The guy wasn't unsympathetic, don't get me wrong. The guy is literally just coming as the messenger to deliver the news and deliver bad news. But implied there is don't bother this man anymore because nothing can be done. Give up. It's time. It's time to pack it in. That's, that's what the world tells us. But Jesus here says what? Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Only believe. And that here, again, shows us that this is really the posture that we have put before us every day of our lives. This is the path or the choice we have put before us every day of our lives. The path of faith or the path of fear. And which do you choose? You know, did anybody grow up reading those uh, choose-your-own-adventure novels? Anybody know what those are? I don't know some of those, right? I used to love those, you know, to, 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 to get in the car and drive this way, go to page 86, to, to not get in the car and go, th- you know, turn to page 57. And you had to choose your own adventure, and it was, you know, this series of novels. Well, again, in a sense, here's the choice put before us every day. One of faith or one of fear. And all of us can relate to that, again, at some place in our lives. Maybe not in a life and death way. Hopefully not in a life and death way like Jairus is here. But there are other lesser things where that same choice is put before us. And the question is always, are we going to be people of fear or are we going to be people of faith? Are we going to focus on the mountain that blocks our path? Think of the mountain here that blocks the path of Jairus as he goes back to his house with the knowledge that his daughter is dead. Are we going to choose to focus on the mountain in our path or the God who can move mountains? That's the question for all of us. Are we going to focus on the stone which sealed the tomb 
or on the God who is still able to roll stones away. That is, again, the choice before us, faith or fear. And it's not licensed to be delusional. Don't get me wrong. You hear so many Christians talk, right? Faith means you don't seek treatment for your health because it's only faith, right? This must be a spiritual problem. No, 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 no. We don't believe that. God gives wisdom to doctors. God gives wisdom to those here on earth, right? Faith over fear isn't, you know, I'm going to jump out of an airplane with no parachute, right? I'm going to skydive with no parachute. This is great, right? No, we're not delusional about these things. Don't, don't mishear me. It's not licensed to be delusional, but what it is is it's liberty to be dependent upon God. It's liberty to be dependent wholly upon him, recognizing that even when we can't trace him, we can trust him. Even when we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, we know that, that after darkness, there's always a dawn. After death, there is always life. That, again, is the truth of the empty tomb. Christ says, don't be afraid, just believe. And then here, notice how in Christ saying that, he doesn't even bother to answer all of Jairus's, I'm assuming, thousand follow-up questions. <laughs> right? wait a second, I just heard my daughter is dead from the guy who came from my house, and you're saying, don't be afraid, just believe. And there's no mention of every question being answered in the meantime, and every question of ours won't be answered when we're called to have faith or called to trust. But trust and have faith is exactly what we do. We just simply put one step in front of the other and trust that God will lead us, and that's what Jairus does here. He puts one step in front of the other, and he follows Christ, and notice where it leads him. Verse 51, when he came to the house of Jairus, that is Jesus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter and John and James. There's that inner circle of disciples we often see in the Gospels, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. And now you cue the sitcom laugh track, right? If we were reenacting this, that's what would happen. Cue the laughter. They laughed at him knowing that she was dead. You see, if it's true that the Christian life can at times feature trial and hardships, and if it's true that sometimes the only response, again, is what we see here with Jairus, to put one foot in front of the other, well, again, that's what he does here. But then notice that it's also true. What such one foot in front of the other faith will result in? What does it often result in for us as believers? We follow Jesus in the midst of overwhelming doubt and problems and difficulties. What does it often result in? Ridicule. Doesn't it? It often results in ridicule when you follow after Christ. They laughed at Jesus. They must have laughed at Jairus too for his reliance upon this man. And doesn't that feel familiar to us? It should. She is not dead, but asleep. Cue the laughter. You'll one day have to stand before the judgment seat of God. Have you ever told somebody that? Have you ever witnessed to someone and told them of the judgment of God, which our sin rightly deserves? 
Cue the laughter. Christ is coming back. He is. Repent and believe. Cue the laughter. You ever seen someone hold a sign on the side of the road that says that maybe? Jesus is the answer. Repent and believe, right? I'm not necessarily advocating for that kind of evangelism, but maybe. But what does it usually result in? You know, middle fingers out the window, horns blaring, you know, laughter. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And whoever believes in him will never perish, but have eternal life. <laughs> eternal life, what are you talking about? Laughter. Christ is the only way, truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. <laughs> Exclusive messages. Only one way to God. <laughs> Cue the laughter. We hear it all the time. In the news, in our social circles, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. And so we begin to see here that, again, faith versus fear might be where it starts, but it's a continued walk of faith. It's a continued walk of trusting in what we cannot, say, cannot see, a continued faith and trusting in Jesus, even in the face of the world laughing at us, whatever it might be. Whether we're looking at, whether we're looking at Jesus for salvation, whether we're looking at Jesus for forgiveness, whether we're looking at Jesus for healing. It's a constant battle in the face of Laughter, laughter at us for believing, laughter at us for our moral standards, laughter at us for our scriptures and our values and our convictions, laughing at our future hope. But if you ever find yourself in those moments, and all of us have at one time or another, let this passage remind you you're in good company. You're in the best of company. They laughed first at Jesus. And they laughed at Jairus too. But in the middle of that group chuckle, in the middle of that collective belly laugh, a 12-year-old girl got up and she ate lunch. She got up from her deathbed. She got up from the grave, so to speak. And at Christ's command, she had lunch. And Jesus will raise you too, if you believe. When that day comes, when the Father decides it's finally time to fold the pages of history and usher in the new heavens and the new earth, that same astonishment which marked the people at the end of this story will mark the people yet again. For there will be astonishment by those who laugh and ridicule and who did not believe and who find themselves missing the boat, just like in the days of Noah. Can you imagine the ridicule he endured? Building a boat in a place where it doesn't rain. But then there will also be the astonishment of the true believer, like we see here with Jairus, and his wife, the astonishment of the true believer who is overwhelmed in gratitude, overwhelmed by the mercy which they have found, overwhelmed and astonished that God in his grace remembers us. He does not abandon us, but he makes promises. Do not fear, only believe. 
He makes promises that he also then keeps. And we'll be astonished. We'll be astonished, just like they were, again, to find their daughter up and well and walking. We'll be astonished when we find ourselves in the presence of God and welcomed. Astonished by his grace and mercy. I know it's uh, a tired song, one that's got a lot of mileage, but it still, I think, speaks powerfully. If you remember the song by Mercy Me, I can only imagine. I think they capture it well. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes would see when your face, that is God's, is before me. I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? The astonishment. You see, whatever trial is before you, whatever pain, as we close, do not fear. Do not fear, but only believe. Do not fear, but have faith in the one who is with us, Emmanuel, and prepare to be astonished again how in his timing and in his way, which is always perfect, he will meet our needs. Because that woman, again, with a flow of blood incurable, was his child. And that 12-year-old daughter of Jairus was his child. And Jairus himself was his child. And by faith, we too are his children forevermore. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for this story of your grace, this account of your amazing grace. Help us to see ourselves in this story. Help us to realize the same power which is directed towards Jairus and his daughter and the woman is the same power directed towards us as well in our salvation and our resurrection from death to life. And when we're tempted to doubt or despair, would such power remind us that we are never alone, that you are with us. Bless us. In Christ's name, amen.